0: What does God want from you? What does God want from your life? What's He want from the things that you do? What's He want from the things that you're involved in? What does God ultimately want from you and from your life? And the way that you answer that question will uh, determine, or at least sheds light on, Whether you truly know Jesus Christ as Savior, whether you truly are a Christian, or whether you are dependent on something else. What does God want from you, and what what should that look like in your life, and how should it play out? And I I just, I, I want to, in a sense, like solemnly begin this sermon by just saying, there are so many of us that have missed this. There are so many of us that don't understand what it means to truly be a Christian. See, the way of the church is not to just preach the gospel once and then move on to something else. We talked about that, I believe, at length last week. But the way of the church, what God has called those of us who preach to do, is to constantly be preaching the gospel. Because the gospel and understanding the gospel is the most important thing in your faith. And sometimes people come come to our church and they say, All right, I'm a Christian already. Talk about something else. Stop talking about sin and death and the wrath of God. And stop talking about the gospel. I get it already. But here's the thing. We don't get it. We don't get it. I don't get it. God's purposes for our life is that we would become gospel people. People who are orientated around the gospel. Or oriented, I should say, probably. Oriented around the gospel. And so what does it look like for our lives to be oriented around the gospel? What's it look like for that to take place? And ultimately, what, what, what's, what's going to be determined is what does God want from you? You came to church this morning, and I don't know how you came. I don't know if you're involved in another religion and you're investigating Jesus or you're investigating this evangelical type of church or whether you don't claim any type of belief system and you're just, you're just kind of here and you're just uh, kind of experiencing it. I don't know if you've been in the church for many years, or just a couple of years, or something along those lines, but today, this this is for you. This is for all of us to understand this. I just got back from a conference um, actually last night, and so um, we uh, had a conference with Acts 29, the network that we're a part of, um, which is about 500 churches uh, throughout the, the U.S. and worldwide. and. Um, and so uh, on my way down, I was on a flight and I sat next to uh, a, a nice elderly lady who was uh, close to, I believe she was close to 80. Uh, she might have been in her 80s. I, I, I didn't ask her her age, but I'm, I'm assuming that that's about where she was. And she, um, we, you know, we, we started talking about her life. And, you know, when you sit next to somebody on an airplane and you're a pastor the quickest way to kill conversation is to say I'm a pastor, right? And so I oftentimes try not to let the cat out of the bag too early because, you know, I want to talk to people and, and so forth. And so I'm having a conversation with this gal, and, you know, she's, she's telling me all about her life. And we must have gone on for about an hour and a half um, talking about things that she does and, and things like that. And so that was, uh, that was great. And so I was uh, trying to be uh, a listening ear. And uh, which I did quite well at, honey. Uh, wherever you're at, uh, uh, there are times when I'm strapped into a seat uh, that, that that actually works. But um, uh, <laughs> um, so I was I was listening attentively, and uh, sh- so finally the question comes: So what do you do? <laughs> <And> so. <laughs> I say, well, actually, I'm a pastor. And normally what happens to people is they begin to go through everything that they just told me about their life. Uh, did I tell them, you know, about my loose living or did I swear in front of them or did, you know, what I use the Lord's name in vain or something like that? I don't have to be too concerned about that with this, this elderly gal. But, you know, long story short, we, we start having this conversation and we got in, obviously got into religion and so she, we were talking about ballot measures and all of the uh, hot topics, topics and so forth. But she got into talking about when she was um, a younger woman and how she had um, stayed with two, two gals. She had two roommates, and both of them were Catholics. And one of them was, um, was kind of a Catholic uh, in name, and the other one was a, a deep uh, Catholic uh, who adhered to the teachings of the Catholic Church uh, very much so. And she said, I always admired them. I always admired her because she always knew what to do. She always knew what to do. Like the, in every circumstance, like she had this uh, moral compass that was built into her life. And she said, I always admired her because she knew how she was supposed to respond. And I thought it was very interesting that this woman who she actually claimed to be an ag- agnostic, meaning she, she doesn't know. She doesn't know if there is a God or not, but she had this thing in her life where she was like, I don't really know what to do, and I don't really know how to respond to life, and I don't really understand what that looks like for me. I thought that was very interesting because I think there's so many of us that are going through life, and we end up in these circumstances where we say, I'm not really sure what I am supposed to do. I'm not really sure what is supposed to be happening with me and with my with my morality and so I you know what which teaching should I take and which down which road should I go and in what areas should I be and how should I respond in this situation or this situation many people are asking these questions and so uh, you get to a point in life where where maybe life is falling apart for you things are not going well perhaps your business is falling apart perhaps Uh, Your family situation is falling apart. A wife left, a husband left. A child isn't um, doing what you want them to. The way that your life is going is not working out. I'm so, I'm so distracted this morning. I just got off a flight, a long flight and I am a little bit of a, uh, you know, a squirrel this morning, uh, and so I, I apologize, shiny object. Um, where was I at? Many of us are in this position where we get to a point in life where we're trying to figure out what should happen, and many people are asking this question. What should we do with our life? The Bible gives us an answer, but it's not the answer that we think it is. That was my point. Uh, let's. Open up to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. And we'll pick it up there in just a moment. Just this last week, we ended up with this. As you're turning there, I will read this. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him this whole idea of everything wrong that we've uh, done has been nailed to the cross and all of these legal demands have been nailed to the cross and he set them aside And he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he puts them to an open shame. And how does he do this? He he does this by taking these legal demands, these things that we know that we're supposed to be doing, but we never actually do, and he nails them to the cross. Now, what does that mean for our daily life? And what should that look like as I'm living my life? What does it mean that Jesus has taken the legal demands of God and he's nailed them to the cross? And how should that work in my life? What does God want me to do? It says here, verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Another word for that would be false, or two words for that would be false humility. And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, those verses are somewhat complicated. I'll just tell you that. As a Christian, if you're just reading those and you're walking through this uh, in your daily devotions, one of the things you'll find is perhaps a lot of confusion after you get done there. But I want to explain them to you. Uh, Really what sheds the most light is the last verse which says this these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh and what that just said here is that there's this idea of self-made religion there's this idea of trying to get to God. There's, there's this idea of, you know, if I stop doing this and I start doing that, then things will turn around for me. Many people, when they come to a place where they say they're disgusted with their life, like in the video last week uh, with uh, Tim Porter. As he said, I came to this point where I was disgusted with my life, and so I went to church. And oftentimes, we get to a place where we say, all right, I have disgusted myself, I'm sick of the things that I've been involved with. And so what needs to happen with me? And so the answer oftentimes is I just need to go to church so that I can feel better. Or as these people were doing, if you look in the first few verses here, it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What that is saying there is this is that there's people in our lives who would say this, if you want to get to God, if you want to be close to him, then you need to be doing these things. And if you're not doing these things, then, (laughs) listen, I'm really questioning who you are. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that there's all of these religious restrictions that we could take on He's primarily dealing with ones that you can find in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's Old Testament rules and regulations. And these people during Paul's day are saying, if you really want to get close to God, then there's a combination of things that you need to do. You need to make sure that you're eating the right food and not eating the wrong food. You need to make sure that you're drinking this and that you're not drinking that. And you need to make sure that you're celebrating this, not celebrating that, and that you keep a Sabbath, If you came to church this morning and you thought, you know, I need to figure out the things that I need to do in order to get myself close to God, Paul is saying this. He's saying, do not let anyone pass judgment on you. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in light of these things. You can't get close to God. That's self-made religion. Self-made religion is man's effort to reach God on his own so let me just clearly state you cannot get closer to God by doing good things God will not save you because you've done good things God does not save you if you come to church God does not save you If you decide not to drink alcohol. God does not save you if you eat right. Those are of no value and Paul says this, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Now why would we even talk about this? Well Paul is dealing with, as many of the New Testament writers are dealing with as well, something called Gnosticism. Now Gnosticism is this idea that somehow there is this secret knowledge about God And I will find that secret knowledge about God as I live appropriately and as I do these things and I don't do do those things. This idea of asceticism is somewhat complicated, but it's essentially like a false humility that is combined with fasting or self-abasement which would be essentially I'm denying my body food or I'm denying my body these things and it's a severity to the body. It's being severe to me. And if I just let go of these things and I white knuckle it through these things, then I can get close to God. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in these ways. And what this means for us today is this, is that there are people within the church today who will say the reason that you're not connecting with God is because you're not eating right. Your biggest problem is that you're not eating correctly. Like, you, you, you know, you need to get on uh, this diet or get rid of gluten or you need to do these things. And you think I'm kidding. There are people today that somehow connect those things. We can connect those things. There are people today who would add to the scriptures and tell you, that drinking alcohol is a sin against God when really Jesus first miracle was making wine and so you can come up with all kinds of concoctions as to what you think the scriptures are saying there when Jesus makes wine but the truth is that is that is not true that is not true and the only reason why you would avoid alcohol is because number one you just don't like it or number two you have a problem with alcohol One of our biggest problems in the church today is this idea that somehow I'm acceptable to God because of the things that I eat or the things that I don't eat or the things that I don't drink. Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in that way. All this is is what we call moralism. And moralism is essentially the teaching that says this, that uh, if I obey God, if I obey him, he'll accept me. If, if I obey him, if I, do, if I do all of these things, it's a teaching that leads me to God. It's, it's by doing these specific things, then I can actually be with God. But the truth is, is that that doesn't get me anywhere. And Paul says, Don't let anyone pass judgment on you with that. Because here's what's going on you're confusing the truth with a lie, you're con- tr- confusing religion with the gospel. You're confusing these things. I, I, I hope that I've uh, touched a nerve in some of you that have some long-held beliefs, whether it's about alcohol or whether, it, whether you've taken on some, some new idea that you, you're, you, you've taken on this cause, this fight to, to get people to do this or that or the other thing so that they can be closer to God, but you need to know that that is simply not the gospel. He says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Now that's a, a little bit of a complicated verse as well, but what that means is essentially this. Would you leave that verse up there for me? That there's, there's a shadow that's being cast. And he's saying this, that there's, there's this shadow on the ground. And I don't know if you've ever uh, seen a, a cat or a dog. Or like a baby like not really understand the shadow that's on on the floor and and you know they're they're going what's what's going on here and they're scared of their shadow or they're going hey what's what's this and they, they're chasing this around or they're 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 trying to figure out what that is what the Apostle Paul is saying he's saying when you focus on a bunch of things Like eating, drinking, uh, a Sabbath, all of these rules and regulations, when you focus on those things, what you're looking at is a shadow that you don't understand. And Paul is saying this, he's saying these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the shadow, these rules and regulations, is really just kind of an imprint of Jesus, Jesus is the one that's casting the shadow. And what we're not getting is this, is that those things are meant to turn us to the one who's making the shadow. Those things are meant to show us, okay, oh, I I really want to try to be perfect. Oh, no, I can't be perfect. Here's the one who's casting the shadow. There's this idea of perfection in our lives. If I perfectly did these things, things then I would be acceptable to God but that's not true because I can't be perfect in God's eyes the only one that was perfect the shadow on the ground is Jesus and so when you try to do these rules and regulations and you try to live up to that standard and you allow people to pass judgment on you and say oh that's you you know you're right what you're missing is this is you're missing Jesus more than anything verse 18 says this let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, so the first thing is this, doing good things won't save you. The second thing is this, religious experience won't save you. Let me say it more clearly. Emotional experience won't save you. Coming to a place where you have this crazy emotional experience, Look, look at what's being stated here. It, they're insisting on coming to this place of like this false humility. There's this asceticism, remember again. It's, it's combined with fasting and, and, and so forth. And it's perhaps in their day, it's leading them to this worship of angels. They're going after false gods and they're they're going into detail about visions And so it's what's believed is this is that they thought if I can get just get myself into the right place with this false humility oh I'm so hungry and I'm so, oh, I'm just been, yeah, I just feel so bad. So now I'm in this place where I can finally get to this opportunity where I can experience God and then I can just have this crazy vision. And then he says this: these people going on in detail about vision, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And it's a mind that's fleshy. It's a mind that says this, the word. Uh, people are laughing at me over here. What this means is, is uh, <laughs> um, people who know the Bible, uh, sen- sensuous, a sensuous mind means this. It's a mind of the flesh. It's a mind that's just fully in tune with just this is how I feel. Did you know that your Christian life is not all about your feelings? You, there's there's one way of looking at it, which is this is what I do and I'm closer to God There's another way of looking at it, like this is what I feel and it makes me closer to God You can see this in Some branches of Christianity that say you better speak in tongues or you don't know Jesus Or you better experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit which they believe, believe is above and beyond receiving Jesus Christ by faith they're adding to Jesus they're adding to it and so they're saying it's Jesus plus something equals salvation it's Jesus plus spiritual experience having grand visions and all of these things now I want to be careful and say that there are things within Christianity that we'd say those are in the Bible and so we'd subscribe to them. They're spiritual experiences with Jesus, with God, with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's not true is this, is that those things equal you being saved. If you're looking for experience to prove that you're saved, you're looking at the wrong thing. Paul says, Let no one disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you because you didn't have some kind of crazy vision or because you didn't have some kind of experience. I'm not making this up, but I want you to know that there are churches and there are people who would lead you to believe something and they are simply adding to the gospel, just like the person who says, you shouldn't drink alcohol, you're adding to the scriptures. You're adding to it, you're putting words in God's mouth. It's not a good idea. You're adding to it and you're saying, this is what it takes to be a Christian. Paul says, let no one disqualify you. There's people with these fleshy minds that think, it's all about how I feel and if I don't feel it, then I'm not really there or you're not really feeling it and so you're not really in with the in crowd or you're not really a Christian. And that's a major problem because they're missing the gospel they're missing the gospel because once you add something to Jesus Jesus plus something it leads to nothing it leads to nothing it's self-made religion that's what Paul is saying here I don't know if you've ever really looked into uh, Galatians which really deals with this idea of adding something to the gospel and Paul says In uh, chapter 3, verse 10 of Galatians, he says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul says this, When you go beyond Jesus and you say, Okay, it's it's Jesus, and in their day it was circumcision, a religious rite. When, when you say, okay, it's Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation, he says this, if you're going to keep that part of the law, then you've got to keep all of the law. Read the Old Testament sometime and look at all of the laws. Some of you have grown up in the church and you say, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. But here's what's also true of you is that you would say to yourself, I'm not really feeling this Christian thing. I'm not really understanding it. You know why you don't understand it? It's because of this, you don't understand all of the laws that you've broken. You don't understand all of the laws that you, you don't understand how uh, in trouble you are when you look at who God is, you don't understand how alienated you are. And that is our problem. Paul says this, he says, everyone who relies on works of the law are under a curse. That's what we do when we think we've got this figured out. We're dead in our faith. Paul says we're under a curse if we think that somehow we can live up to that standard. If I do enough, if I experience enough, then somehow I'm connected with God. I love these verses in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, which says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4 says, You are severed from Christ. You, who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Do you see how important it is that you do not allow anyone to judge you, and you take that in and believe that, that you do not allow anyone to disqualify you, and you take that in and you believe that, or that somehow you're saying that to yourself, like, I'm I'm acceptable to God because of what I've done. Do you see how serious this is? Paul makes some really bold statements by saying, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. In fact, he says (laughs) uh, rather abruptly in verse 13 of the same, I'm sorry, verse 12 of the same passage. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's see if I can... (laughs) <laughs> temper this for the church service. These people are saying, "You need to uh, be circumcised to be right with God," and Paul's saying, "I wish they'd go all the way and just." It's it's a little bit crass, but listen, Paul's saying this: like if a little bit makes you holy, let's just take the whole thing, right? Paul makes a joke because he's telling us this. If if you think that you're acceptable to God, and what does this look like on a daily basis? I'll tell you what it looks like in my life. Um, I read the Bible all the time. And I read the Bible in order to teach. Now, I don't believe that you can teach without the Bible having affected you. So I'm Constantly in the word and doing this, but there's a, a voice inside of me that says, you know, Matt You're, you're not doing uh, Enough additional reading you need to do some more. Re- you need to do this. You need to do that And so what happens to me is what what takes place is that you're not acceptable to God because you haven't done enough You're not acceptable to God because the definition of what somebody is uh, that somebody wrote down at some other time, the definition of that is that you should have this type of quiet time with God and that you you should spend this like this with God. Now, I'm not saying that you should not spend time with God, but I'm saying this. I have in my mind a specific way that I'm supposed to spend time with God and then if I don't reach that standard, what happens is this, is I feel bad about myself. And I say, ah! I feel, I feel bad about myself and I'm just, oh, I just don't feel spiritual today and things like that and I, but you know what's really going on? In that moment, I've allowed any number of voices, including my own, to disqualify me. And I've said this, I'm unacceptable to God because of this thing. I'm unacceptable to God because of this way that I've, that I've acted many of you perhaps feel the same way, like you've been in a sinful situation, maybe, or you've like experienced some things, or you have thoughts that you don't know what to do with. You're afraid to let those out, and you, and you think to yourself, I'm unacceptable to God because of the things that I've done and the places that I've been or the way that I feel and you say, I, if I just didn't have those thoughts and if I didn't have those feelings or if I didn't do that thing, then somehow God would be uh, open to me and that God would be um, happy with me and that God would love me. And here's the thing. What you've just done is that you've disqualified yourself in word only. You've been ju- judgmental towards yourself. And you said that somehow I'm not acceptable to God because of these things. But that's to misunderstand the gospel because Paul says this. Let no one, let no one disqualify you based on these things. Because that is to miss something that is incredibly important. He says in verse 19, these people are puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. The head is Christ. Christ is the head of the body. The body is the church. And Jesus is our leader. He is the head. So he says, uh, these things where, where am I? and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God yeah, I mean when you read this you it needs to be like italicized emboldened underlined like it is right here let me read it again the whole body nourished and knit together from its or through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God now why would we say it like that Because it's not from you. It's not from your experience. It's not from anything that you do. It's not from anything like that. Paul says these things happen in your life, not because of what you're doing, but because of what God is doing. The growth that comes into you. The growth that comes in your spiritual life comes from God. And if you miss that, you miss everything. If you miss that, you've missed the gospel. If you miss that, you are going to be in a place where you beat yourself up, where you walk away, where you're constantly trying, you're on the treadmill of religion, and it just never ends. You're like a hamster in one of those wheels. <laughs> I just gotta, I just gotta, if I could just get to the other side, if I could just get to the other side. I mean, it's just, it's just going to keep going, just going to keep going. But the growth that comes, it comes from God. So what's this mean? Verse 20 if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. What's he saying there? He's saying this. There's this idea that there's all of these spirits in this world, or the way that this world is put together, and if we live rightly, then somehow the god of this world, nature, whatever, will shine upon us. And if we do these good things and if we live by karma, do unto others that or you know, that the way that you want to be treated and 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 so if we keep doing that, then somehow things will go well. But Christ said this, if with Christ you died to all of those things in this world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And verse 21 says this, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why does he say that? He says that because there's these legalists around. There's these people who would have you believe that your Christian faith Is about what you do and it's about what you experience and they're saying don't touch this don't touch that don't eat this don't eat that and he's mocking them he's saying it sarcastically don't taste don't do this see why why would you do that you've died to this if with Christ you died to all of that stuff why would you submit to these rules that people have made up saying don't do this and don't do that he says, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Those things are going away. Those things don't belong. Those things have, have nothing to do with this. Now, there are things that God wants you to do. There is, there is true right and wrong. But there are a lot of things that we've tacked on to the gospel to say, as long as I believe in Jesus Christ and do all of these things, then he'll make me acceptable. And Paul's saying, that's just not the truth. He says, verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Back to my friend Joanne that I met on the plane. She says, I wish that I had this like moral compass inside of me. I wish I knew what was right and wrong. And Paul says here, these have an appearance of wisdom. It looks like on the outside as if this is, this is going to help you. But Paul says this, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What does God want from you? Not a list of rules and regulations that you've kept. If you've come in here today and you think that somehow what you do makes you acceptable to God, these have an appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Why? Because you'll just be back there again, just going, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was there. I can't believe I thought that. And you're just going to be back in this this cycle. So what's the answer to it? Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now that verse is ripped out of context so many times. And what they, and what they say about that verse, chapter 3, verse, verse 1, can you put that up for me? What they say about that verse is this. That if you've been raised with Christ, then you should be doing good things. If you've been raised with Christ, then, then you, you should be doing all of these things and you should be doing that. But what Paul's saying here is he, he's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, get your eyes off of all of this junk down here. Whether you're going to do this and going to do that. Now, there may be good reasons for doing this and not doing that. But Paul is saying this. The first thing that you need is this. Is that your eyes have got to be on the maker of the shadow. Your eyes have got to be on that one who is perfect. Your eyes have got to be focused on him because of this. He's the one that has raised you from the dead. He is the one who made you acceptable to him. He is the one who allows you to know him. He is the one who causes you to grow. He is the one, the only one. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You can't add to Jesus to get to him. If you've been raised with him, then keep your eyes on him. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on these things and trying to figure out should I eat this or not? Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now how did that happen? One of the greatest mistakes that you can make is to somehow say, what I do makes me acceptable to God. In fact, perhaps one of the greatest errors in question asking of God is this, what do you want me to do? And really what you should be asking is, who do you want me to see? And God wants you to see how he's made you right before him. God wants you to see how he has done it. God wants you to see him and in, in all of his glory. I read something the other day about a particular theological perspective and they say. You know, it's, it's, people don't like it very much because it focuses on sin. But here's the problem. If you don't understand how alienated you are from God, you'll never know what it took for him to save you. To the degree that you see what God has done for you. To the degree that you keep your eyes above and say, I see who I am. Full Of transgressions and sins and you know what this means every time the thought comes into your mind that says this you're not enough you've screwed up you're not acceptable to God what you get to say is this you're right and that's why I have my eyes on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and it's not on things below because of this I need him And I don't need anything from all of this rule keeping and all of these regulations and all of this stuff. Because I have my eyes above on him. Because of this, Jesus lived the life that you should have lived. The only thing that's happening when you try to do this, you try to do that, is that you're trying to be Jesus for yourself. You're trying to be your own God. You're trying to take the place of God by making yourself acceptable to God through the things that you do. And the only way to be acceptable to God is through Jesus Christ having gone to the cross for you. Because He lived a perfect life. He did fulfill all of those regulations. He did fulfill all of the rules that God had. And yet he was still killed. And so the question is, why was he killed? Why why was he put to death? It's because it was the plan of God to send the perfect Lamb of God in our place for our sins as a substitute for us. So worship and passion for God and understanding what God wants from you comes from having your eyes above, set on the things above. It's not having your eyes on all, on all of these other things, but it's having your eyes on Christ and looking to Him over and over again. And do you know what happens as a result? When you don't add something to Jesus, when you don't say Jesus plus something, some kind of religious right, what happens is this, your life begins to follow. It doesn't happen immediately. But your life begins to follow, and you begin to to follow him with your life. And you say, because I see him, and because I see what he's done for me, I want to live out of worship. I I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice. This is my worship to him because of everything that he's done for me. Like when you take your eyes off of him and you say, here's everything I should be doing, you're forgetting everything that he's done for you. And there's no longer an object of worship. And so what happens is this. There's a book called Start With Why. And it essentially says this. That there's so many different companies that try to sell products that are based on this idea of what. What they're selling. See, the MP3 player came out quite a while before the iPod came out. But what they were selling was, all oh, right, we have a little thing that plays music, and it's got X amount of gigabytes on it. But Apple came out. Do you remember those Apple ads? Some girl dancing around with this silhouette, and you know, whatever. I mean, that was a horrible example of that. But, <laughs> but you, do you know what Apple is selling? Apple is selling the joy that comes from living with this incredible thing which is called an iPod. But the nerds over here were saying, well, oh, this just what you're actually you're buying. You've got to get a gigabyte thing here. And here's the problem with us, is that we're always starting with what? I need to go after this what? and These are the details of this and that. But what we forget is this, is we forget the why. We forget the why. Why am I living? Why am I doing? Why am I... This is what it means to keep my eyes on Him. This is why. That's the why of my life. That's who I am, and that's what I'm doing, and it's because of everything that He's done for me. And you know what happens as a result? The what. The what of your Christian life. When you get on track with the why. The what follows. See, Joanne was confused about what. And the reason why she was confused about what is because she didn't understand why. Do you know why? Do you know why? Where are you at in your Christian life? Stop thinking about what you're doing and start thinking about the one who did. Because he's the one who's making the shadow. Look up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and I pray that we'd be people who understand what you've done for us. And God, I pray that we'd be people who truly get the gospel. That you went to the cross and you died for us. And that you saved us from sin. That you you saved us from... From death, you saved us from the evil one. May God, you're, you're you're saving us. God, there's there's sin and death and the evil one all throughout our life. And Lord, we could focus on trying to change all of those things and try to try to mess with those things, but here's the problem: is that we don't really see the one who can change things. The one who really causes growth to happen. So Lord, I pray that we'd turn from people who are all concerned about the what, and Lord, that we'd be concerned about the why. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be on you. And that we would not be focused on ourselves, because it doesn't come from us. So Lord, I pray that there'd be truly some people in here this morning that perhaps get saved for the first time. And Lord, I pray that they'd understand this, that they're not saving themselves, and they didn't save themselves, and so it's appropriate to say this, God saved me. Lord, I pray that there'd be believers in here this morning that would start in the right place. That, Lord, their story of who they are in you would begin with, God saved me. And that it wouldn't begin with, well, you know, I decided to be a moral person. And I decided to do what's right, because that's not true. What's true is that I am dead in my transgressions and sins, and that I have no hope on my own. But God, you and your incredible mercy, you reach down, and you grab us, and you save us, and you make us whole. But God, we keep going on to other things. We keep saying, okay, you saved me, and I'm going to go on to something else. But you're the one who saved me. So, Lord, I pray that we would not take our eyes off you. I pray that that would be true of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.